Hey, it's Matt here. Just a quick note before we begin, this week's episode is a live recording from the Birmingham-based comics convention Not Another Comic-Con that I was invited to record back in August. Um, I'm joined by Peter Burke, who's the founder and organiser of the convention, and John Higgins, uh, who's an industry legend, who's been a writer and artist on books like uh, 2000 AD and Razorjack, as well as being the colourist for books like Watchmen and The Killing Joke. Uh, as you'll shortly hear, the audio quality is not great, so I apologise in advance for that. Uh, but the conversation was a lot of fun to record, and as um, a fascinating look at what goes into putting a con together. So, uh, sorry again about the quality once we get into the chat itself, uh, but I hope you enjoy. Okay, bye. Going to conventions is almost an essential part of comics fandom. It's there on the con floor that you can meet your heroes, meet fellow fans, and maybe even get the chance to cosplay as your favourite characters. It's only when you attend a convention that you realise that the comics community is a pretty small world, and as long as you're courteous and understanding and patient, you can rub shoulders with the greats, and maybe even walk away with a sketch or a signed issue or two. What's it like on the other side of the tables though? A convention is a massive thing to organise, and while almost everyone that starts down the route of putting on a show is a fan of the medium, the hard work and pressure of organising conventions can test anyone's love of the comics. Then there are the creators themselves. This is an opportunity for them to meet their fans face to face, to interact with a community that they've had a hand in building, and a chance to earn some money to fuel their next work. But it can also be exhausting and overwhelming, having to be constantly switched on, as you meet and shake hands with hundreds of people every day. My name's Matt Luke. And on this very special live episode of the show, I'm joined by Peter Burke and John Higgins to talk conventions, comics, and a whole lot more. This is That's the Issue. Welcome both. Thank you. Thank you both for joining me on uh, on that's the issue. Um, so this uh, the purpose of this show is to get you uh, get to know you both as comics creators, comics fans, uh, people in the comics industry as well. Um, but um, but Peter, I'll start with you. Um, this none of us would be here if not for your uh, your hard work um, putting together not another Comic Con. Um, how has it been for you this year? Uh, it's been pretty good. It was. It's way different from the first two. Hmm. It's it, it's bigger in scale. It's 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 raised the profile in in terms of the names of the guests that I've been able to reach to hmm. to be able to invest and say, can you come and I can afford your hotels. I can I can bring you transport. Where previously it was, are you a comic creator that lives in Birmingham and you live like ten minutes away? So I can yeah. I can cover your bus fare and then that's my expenses covered. So. It's the growth inside the three years from the from the the first one to this one is more than I ever thought it would be. Mm. Like I literally thought no one would ever be interested, and I'd have a room full of like fifty blokes like me <laughs> that were just like, "Oh, I love Batman." Yeah, <laughs> and then that was as big as it would ever go. And then you've got kids having pictures, kind of on green screens, holding Thor's hammer and stuff like mm. that. So the growth is unexpected, but then that's really good because when you think how many hours you try and put into physically do it and then you see all these kind of outcomes it kind of gives you a perspective of where your hard work goes and hopefully people are loving what you're doing as well as yeah. you feel like it's growing as well. I think that's been the 
the best thing about seeing today is just seeing, as you say, like we were pointing out all the, the kids walking around and we've just been sat here laughing because people are like laughing and joking about the fact there's a Dalek going up and down the hall. Yeah. So it's just, it's just little things like that that kind of, as you say, rewards your hard work really. But I mean, you did the first one when you were still doing your masters. Wasn't yeah, you? I, I, was, um, I was a student and we were told that we needed to put an, uh, an event on. There's no budget and there's no help and go and do something. Oh, that's all right. Um, Trying to support uh, Yeah. I, uh, I read a big indictment on the education system. <laughs> but um, I could have done something small. I could have done a, I don't know, a comics coffee morning and, a, and have mm. people make some Batman-themed cupcakes and stuff and just do something real small. Uh, and my lecturer said to me, what is it that you want to do? Like, after you gain this qualification, if someone said to you, Pete, I'm going to give you your realistic, perfect job, what is it going to be? I said, I, I want to be the the organiser, the promoter, the marketer, etc. for comic conventions. And I, and I don't just mean people selling comics in a room. I mean, like, guests, creators, this... And I said, I want to put a comic convention on. And he said, well... Really, that's that's kind of a, a bigger thing than we were kind of thinking, and I was like, no, that like that. I gave he gave me my own sense of inspiration. Yeah, he was then trying to talk me out of it because he thought it was too large a scale event, considering like the other people in my class we noticed were, were doing like a fashion exhibit where they'd brought in someone else's clothes and you could walk in and walk out. And it didn't really matter about a footfall. It didn't really matter about marketing so much it was it was that you could just it, it was a thing so you planned it you executed it you evaluated it but I, I wanted mine to be more I wanted it to be an entity a, a thing that wasn't just an assignment it was something else well, I mean it sounds like he kind of you you fell backwards into finding something that like an idea that you actually would cover everything that you'd need to, to cover for your own masters as well because not only did you think actually I just I want to put on a comic on which you know, you know there's no just about it it's a massive yeah. deal but it also incorporates as you say so many different aspects of you know a business and of, of make, making an event happen you know being able to bring all those things together under one roof like comic con is quite unique in that aspect isn't it really yeah um the first time we did it, I had some other students that were doing their master's courses. So like our photographer was a, a master's photography student. Mm. Uh, and the lady who did the social media was a social media master student. And a, a weird kind of symmetry in terms of how I've grown. She was here today as a small press comic creator because it inspired her to keep doing the social media stuff that she loved as a day job. Mm. But she wanted to then create her own creations. So she, that's Catherine Hemmings, um, and her Kickstarter has just started for being ginger. Right. Yeah, because yeah, she's very flame-haired herself. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's, the look of it is, it looks very similar to Gravity Falls in terms of the way she draws her characters, but she brings them to life in such a kind of a different way. Um, so I had kind of a really sports, small support network with that, and obviously the family at home and stuff. That as we've gone on for this one, I've had a team of five film students at undergraduate come and do our YouTube videos, editing. Um, they were filming the panels today. They were doing all the action shots. We've now got uh, a journalism student who had um, 
from from literally being a journalism student that's that putting assignments he was then a feature writer in the Birmingham Mail because of the piece he did about the upcoming convention we got that off to the editor who loved the what had happened before the fact that we were students at Birmingham success story with the quote marks in the air sort of thing so Adam got himself published yeah. in a, a kind of major like that, that goes out to uh, in terms of print like three million people and he was just a student doing just the BA thinking this might be my career one day yeah. and now he's he's he's, had, he's made essentially national news um, we've got Amy who has been phenomenal she does the website the social media the posts and what have you uh, and she found us by accident is that I put out uh, a post using my my best social media way of doing things. I know what to say, but I don't have the graphic skills to go with it. Yeah. Um, so I kind of just put this really wordy post and I put like an edgy font on it because I thought that, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> the font an edgy font. Yeah. Um, and someone tagged her in it. Uh, and I didn't realise at first that, that she's actually at Bournemouth University. So she's like three and a half hours away yeah. from here. And we, we kind of struck up a, a great relationship straight away. And she's been on holiday and at four in the morning while in the States has been editing and posting and putting stuff for me. Um, and, and she's been fantastic. And she's done her entire year placement with us as well. Wow. So we've had so many kind of students that have thrived and had their own success story out of it that it... it that even kind of blew my mind because I just I wanted people for help but I didn't want them to just be helped I wanted them to to want to help themselves but obviously I can't push that in them I can only tell them my journey my story my path because they'll have to find their own if you copied everyone else we'd all be doing exactly the same thing and like I said all these kids are now getting this opportunity that the film crew because we're sponsored by Forbidden Planet International they they've now been shared in all their stores nationwide the video they put together They've been retweeted and shared by YouTube and, the, and FPI's YouTube channels. Mm. They've been credited with all the work. So these these kids that uh, October, November last time when I put this post out, who had uh, this idea that they were going to do oh, this, this a bit of work experience, they've now all had such kind of little breakouts of their own that... I'm hoping it kind of really pushes them forward mm. in spite and despite of me. Like, <laughs> whatever happens with me going forward whether this is the the start of something massive or whether this is the last thing I have to do in terms of events and comics, hopefully they're going to take up something and go, remember that start we got, remember? Mm. So when they're millionaires, they can pass me a few quid. <laughs> yeah, pass it back. <laughs> yeah. And like, John, you've been in the industry for a long time now. Like, how have you seen um, like conventions and the kind of the community of comics change over the years? I think um, I've been very lucky for a number of different reasons, particularly with the um, relationship to conventions, because every single person I've ever met is, I mean, usually very affable, friendly people, because that's the market that they're in, to a mm. certain extent, they're enthusiasts about the, the business and the comics, but they also take it further because one, as Peter's, they have to be organisers, they have to be able to like, arrange people arrive in such and such a time and so many other things so many elements go into creating this sort of like environment and they all have to be slightly mad I think the <laughs> problem is with sort of like this sort of thing just seeing the expression on his face last night 
when we first arrived and I see his expression this morning he's <laughs> looking exactly the same as we left him last night <laughs> yeah. and look at his face now it's like he's slowly winding down it's yeah. like I think um, the, the horror of the whole event is probably just percolating through to him now <laughs> so but I think so, talking to everyone about it I mean he, everyone's saying the enthusiasm that comes from the top down from the feet down Everyone, like I said, the enthusiasm has been there right from the beginning. Mm. And I saw some of the young, small press guys, and they got a couple of tables towards the end. can't remember the names, otherwise I would have given them a, a shout-out. <laughs> but um, they was like the first convention they've ever been to, the first time they had the opportunity to present themselves in a professional way. Mm. And they're, they're enjoying it, you know, just the fact that they can like, socialise with people like myself who've been in the business for 40 odd years. Mm. And then other new connections that they make, and obviously now they know Pete and other people involved in PR and general presentation. Mm. I think it's just brilliant. And talking to them makes me more enthusiastic about it. Yeah. Talking to Pete just makes me feel tired. <laughs> <laughs> just such unremitting hard work, you know. I mean, you've yeah. been doing this since before Christmas. Yeah, the the decision was, do I go again? And it was because um, I've got quite a young family. We were expecting baby number four. Wow, so, congratulations. Yeah, well, baby number four is due on the 22nd of September. Yeah. So if, if the other half, who's been amazing, isn't absolutely knackered after today and goes in early, <laughs> then we're, we're about a month and a little bit away. But... It was a case of uh, how do I pull the family through this because, uh, like like John said, last night and maybe first thing this morning, my face wasn't necessarily the most friendliest of faces. <laughs> Not because anyone particular has done a thing, but when you're so steeped in, I mean this respectfully, herding cats, because <laughs> that's what it's like. Yeah, yeah. Um, and answering the same question in 15 different ways to try and get the point across or it understood. None of these things are complaints. It's just that everything comes with a level of energy. It comes with a level of a percentage that you can offer to each individual person every moment. Um, and last thing last night and first thing this morning didn't have a lot. However, and I've already said to this to John because I've been fangirling every time I walked in the room because <laughs> it was John's. It was it was reading Watchmen, reading um, Killing Joke, those two books as well as Grant Morrison's, Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum. Those three books, and this is maybe detrimental to my mom's parenting. <laughs> when I read those, it wasn't that Batman was just Adam West, and it wasn't just the animated series where I like. Yeah, that's, yeah. I loved Adam West and it was like oh yeah I love Batman but I didn't love Batman in a in a written sense I didn't love it in a in a graphic sense I just loved the concept of the character so if Batman was on TV I'm watching Batman if there's a Batman film mate I want to go and watch a Batman film those books then as me turning into and having my own money and going to Nostalgia and Comics which is now World Supply in Birmingham well, I actually skipped out the afternoon of school in 1994 and went and started buying <laughs> stuff. And like some of the staff came today who were working then uh, and I've known for a long time and buying these books because someone said, these are amazing. Mm. And then me reading content that was way, way too <laughs> too much for me as a <laughs> as a, a 11, 12-year-old. But the ideas there, the, the, the power of the writing, 
the drawing, the cunning, the imagery, everything that was as part of those books, it wasn't that I like Batman anymore. It was that this is amazing. This is a like, do you know, you have that moment where your eyes kind of pop open and you're like, what is it? What yeah. am I reading? And it was those things. And as soon as I got John's contact details, it took me about three days to pluck <laughs> up the courage to contact him because I was afraid he was going to say no. Yeah, no, yeah. thank you. I thought he'll be busy. He's got a wedding. It's kids this, grandkids that, whatever, oh, no. the, whatever the thing is, his <laughs> life and he won't be able to get here. And she went, and the wife just said, will you just bloody call him? <laughs> and I haven't got his... No, when he got an email address, and she was like, just do it. Worst case scenario is he's not there. At the moment, he's not there. You were contacting him. And then when John said he was available, and we started kind of sorting out T's and C's and everything like that, I, I, I jumped off the computer. I was like, John's coming, John's coming. <laughs> and she was like, I don't know who John is. I was like, <laughs> I was like John, we were just talking about his, his watchman and kids. And she was like, oh, I don't know what they are. Yeah. <laughs> I get that so much. I'm always excited to tell people about the, the people I'm talking to and like just even coming here today, like telling people, you know, the people you chat with, the people you meet, like to, to, to us and to me and you and, and to you, John, I'm, I'm sure you get it as well with people that you just get these like kind of a little bit starstruck because you, you've followed them, you've read these things, you, you've absorbed their, you know, they've been, you know, books and comics, they're a part of you, aren't they, when you read them? Very yeah. much so. Funny enough, actually, what Pete was describing his feelings with Batman mm. when he first, it, there's something about comics and the weird thing is, like, you know, how few... The kid, it's, it's a strange thing at the moment. There's a certain dynamic that's actually really interesting because you end up sort of getting kids coming in because of the movies, which is a great tie. And obviously, there's some great games out there as well. Yeah. Arkham Asylum was a smash hit a couple of years ago. So there is a crossover between different media and comics. But when they realize exactly what Pete realized, there's something so accessible about comics mm. and it's such a personal thing. You see a great movie, it moves you in ways that's like nothing else can, or if you like play a brilliant game, it's so immersive, so much more immersive than a comic. But what comics shows you is how accessible it is, and the fact it's like um, Pete can touch me. You know, I'm a real person. Don't mm-hmm. give him that permission. <laughs> <laughs> you can get, yeah, you can get arrested for that. <laughs> but um, you can, you can, it's accessible. And that's the great thing, and that's why I see in the small press in particular, I get so excited when I come to events like this. We see a lot of, I see a lot of small press, and I just love their enthusiasm. And the fact that they've done it themselves, they got it printed themselves, they designed it themselves, that is the most exciting thing about this sort of stuff. And the thing that I love about these things is when you do see families coming, mm. and it's like it's the dad, it's the enthusiast, and the comic collector. And the kids are doing that wonderful 14-year-old face. Oh, my God, he's so embarrassing. <laughs> behind the back, which I think is hilarious. But then they discover something about it. And they do come back a few years later. I mean, one of my I tend to, whenever I'm doing sketches and signs, I tend to put the date in. Because when I first started doing sketches and things and sketchbooks, it was in you know the mid-1980s. And uh, a young man came up to me in the 2000s and actually had the sketch that I did for him 20 years previously. Wow. And I did the sketch more or less the same, uh, a lot better, I hope, yeah. <laughs> next to the one that he had all those years ago. So it's one of those weird things. I'm talking to some of the kids and saying, like, 10 years from now when you're 16, yeah. you'd be able to come back and sort of say, my dad dragged me here, but <laughs> now I like comics. And I think that's work, that work, and exactly what Pete was saying, the fact that, this shows the local community 
there's something happening. And plus that, the thing Pete was doing as well, was having games that kids could play who weren't interested in comics. Mm. Almost like a creche for the, the parents <laughs> to go away and then come back. And not that you did, because no. you had to be looked after. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, so there are other things outside as well, he was saying. So there's so many different things to do on a relatively dull Birmingham day mm. that, you know, will give you something to do, meet lots of other people who do similar things or different things. Mm. So I think this is so valid to do this. Yeah. What John was saying about the small press as well, it, it was an absolute goal to champion local small press. Um, well, not necessarily just local small press, but the majority of our small press is local. But for every major creator like John, like Gary Erskine, like Al, Al Ewing, these people that have got Marvel and DC on, on speed dial, they, they've rubbed shoulders with anyone who's anyone previously in their walks of life to network with John, to find that information, the, the, even the floor plan was set out that for every major creator, that either side of them would be a small press. Mm. So it's forced footfall as well. Yeah. So if, if John's on one row, people have to walk past three, four, five, six small press to get to John. Mm. But rather than walk past, they'll go, oh, that's someone's artwork. What's that? The eye will catch them. And then on the way to John, they might go and buy two or three things for someone that, that might essentially pay for their rent. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it propels them as well. And it's trying to push that. So then in a similar fashion to John said about the, the, the difference between when he did the first sketch and this sketch, for all we know, some of these guys are going to go and be as famous as whichever comic name you ever want. If you want to take an Alan Moore or Grant Morrison, whichever name, Garth if you want to say, some point down the line, some of these small press might be held in the same regard. Mm. And to say that you were there as part of that, that you helped in pushing that, you helped in, in having no talent towards it, you just gave a platform. Well, not only is that claim to fame, but then on the, on the personal side of things, you're like, like maybe that person wasn't going to do it. And with the buddy system as well for the small press, to make it more affordable. So rather than just having to shell out big money for one table, we allowed two, three, four people to buy second and third tables at a discounted rate for buying the first one so they could spread the cost three and four ways so they could all get in together, all put their banners up, all put their artwork up so they could be there with their mates on the day. They can remember the day they met this comic creator the other day, the day that someone sold, I don't know, 300 quid's worth of artwork and... I remember when so-and-so did this. It's those kind of things that 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 propels them and by definition kind of pushes the convention forward as well. Mm. If anyone's got a good word to say, that's publicity and marketing that would cost me thousands. Yeah. Just by one person with 20 followers. Because if they're 20 followers, they go, oh, that's pretty cool, I'll share that. Then you've got 70, 80, and then it's 200, 300, and... The, mm-hmm. the wine's world and they tell their friend and they tell their <laughs> friend. But it, it's everything is because I'm trying to give to a, a, a media, a genre, a, a, an institution like comics, like comic characters, superheroes, that throughout my life has given me so much. I know I had to pay for it in terms of financial and buying the comics stuff, but I wanted to be Batman, not only for the wealth side of things, but it, it almost kind of guided a moral compass as well. I don't want to see people treated badly. I don't want to see the world the way it is. Mm. 
And the best thing I can do is try and put something super positive and super like loads of energy and passion. And if that makes one person's day for one day, then that one person's had one better day and I can say I was responsible, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it, John, about the idea of people coming in from all different angles now, you know, people from watching movies or from playing games and things like that. Um, but on, you know, the, the, the seems to be the central part of this comic convention is, the, you know, comic in Comic Con, you know, because there are some of the bigger ones like MCM and stuff now that do big conventions, but a lot of it's TV, a lot of it's movie. The focus seems to come away from the comics, but um, the, you know, just the title, not another Comic Con, and the, the wording on the website as well seems to, you seem to put a lot of importance in the idea of having comics still at a comics convention. Well, the, the not another Comic Con bit was. Uh, it's part slagging ourselves up like people going oh another one <laughs> and then at the same time we were trying to say that we're being alternative we want to be different mm. and you can take whichever way that one and that that is the the vibe the, the whole way through is I want people to take us how they want to receive us when you go to MCM you go to Showmasters and they are great events and it's nothing but positive and it forces love upon the genre and you hope that because someone watched a Marvel film they'll go pick up the comic mm. and if that does or doesn't happen it, there's only so much that you can control so there is a place for them but I wanted it to be alternative and be different and have people have their own invested experiences they're not a piece of meat and cattle being herded through the front door no one there to help them no one talking to them everyone head down in phone yeah I'll buy 14 pups and then I'm going to go get them mm. signed and leave there is places for those things. I just didn't, I don't want that. I go to those things and pay for those things and I'm fine to accept that. I didn't want to have that as what people have to then accept again. Yeah. I just wanted to be alternative and be different and, and try and give people something that they can find their own way and find what they want. Mm. And if that, if that means that someone like John ha has loads of footfall at his table and, and people, know him from someone like Watchmen, but then see all his other works and go, oh, I've only ever heard of Watchmen, but now I've seen this and I love this and I love that and I love this. It's putting money in his pocket, not because I want to make people rich, but then it's that's an investment. It makes John go, oh, I'm going to go create something else. I'm going to create something new. I'm going to keep creating these characters that people are loving. And that, again, it keeps on just pushing a positive notion. It's just pushing things forward. And it, it's kind of escapes the real world and the horrible nonsense that goes on. No, it does. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just brings people down to a, a, a love and a passion place and a, and a care. And, a, and I'm going existential and wildly. But, <laughs> but that is, I want to do it for all those reasons. But the main reason is because I love comics. Yeah. And in fact, it's back to that, the passion and the caring about stuff. And you can take that into any branch of anything you want to take it into. I think the uh, thing about the bigger conventions, um, particularly when you talk about the very big comic conventions, San Diego and the Showmaster ones and NEC and stuff like that, they're doing a really good job promoting comics in a certain way through the media more than the fact that it's like you're going to get for four for people who are going to go there for the comics. You do get people who go there for the comics, but 90% of the people go because of the time with cosplay games and the movies which is fine up to a point but the fact that these smaller conventions have that focus that's comic related which is good 
that's something that's like you get the purists almost to a certain extent. People who, for one reason or another, aren't necessarily into games in a bigger way as some of the younger people. And, and it's such a strange um, dichotomy sometimes because the young people look great doing the cosplay and all the other things. And I really like seeing that as a valid expression of their creativity. And even if out of every 10, 20 or 30, you get one of them coming over and buying a comic, that's still going to push up the new audience. Mm. And it's, it's knowing the, the right balance to get. So when I think some of the bigger comics don't get the balance right because it's so massively aimed at making money because of the times with movies and TV franchise stuff now. I mean, when you see the guests who go there now, you have to pay for their autographs. I think that's quite quite sad in a way. I mean, I understand these guys don't have um, an outlet in a creative sense outside of the movies, should we say. Mm-hmm. I mean, so when they sell their photographs and their signatures, that's a good way for them to make money outside of it, allowing for the fact that they're usually very well paid for a very short period of time, whereas grunts like me, who's like work with a cold face day in, day out, you know, yeah. we write, we draw, and we do week in, week out, and hopefully we'll be doing it year after year. Mm. We don't earn a fraction of what the big stars earn, but coming to this, you talk with fans, which is great fun. We do sell some extra books and some extra artwork, which is really nice. Um, but the fact is, like, as Pete was saying, it's like, you know, you, if you get a new person who's going to buy my individually um, produced book, um, the raises you have which is my own character. That's something that I find really important and very, very satisfying. Every every 10 watchmen, which I know is almost a guaranteed seller, mm. if one person does buy my book, then that's that's makes valid, completely valid to me. Mm. So the cosplay, the bigger conventions, so worthwhile and, and they're very valid, but they are incredibly expensive and you can't get small press there unless they get massive discounts and I'm not sure you get that um, aspect in the big conventions. Yeah. So I know a lot of people appreciate a comic convention that is a comic convention. Yeah. And they really shouldn't be using a comic convention for big media conventions, really. Mm-hmm. It should be completely different now. There's two different things, I think, really. Like they're, all, they're all pulling from the same characters, but at the same time, you, you know, there, there are people that turn up because they want to see, they want to get sketches, they want to interact. And, and the comics community is small isn't it really mm. you know that everyone knows everyone in a certain sense and as as you said it's there's people that have this is their first con there's people like yourselves that you know have been in the industry like legends in the industry and they're sat next to each other and the, the tables are the same you know you're not sat on a plinth up here you know you're sat next to them um, but I mean you said that's personally inspiring to you as well like to see the, the new creators come oh god yeah I mean the energy the slope in particular I mean when you've been doing something year after year after year after year, after year, after year, <laughs> it's um, you can, you know what people are going to pay you to do, so you tend to do what people pay you to do. Whereas when you see younger artists who are still finding the way around, trying to discover one what they particularly want to do, and also find a marketplace, because it's point. I mean, it's not pointless being an artist and no one sees your work, but we do stuff so people see our work. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what sort of artist you are, you want, even if it's your mom or your dad or whatever, but if you can reach, as we have here at Pete's Convention, a new audience, they pick up your book and look at your work. It's just great. I was looking at, again, James' book, I don't know his last name or title of his book, which is not doing him any good at all. <laughs> but um, just flicking through it, I mean, it, it has a mood and sensibility that um, 
is something that I wouldn't do because people don't pay me to do that. Mm. But it's inspirational because you approach it in a different way. And plus, fact, I like the fact that he approaches as black and white rather than doing trying to be full colour because that's what suited the story. So he was making decisions mm. creatively that are outside market decisions. Yeah. You know, so things like that are really, really important for me to look at and say, that's a nice approach. Mm. Not my approach, but maybe I'll learn something from that. Mm. It's good to it's good to hear that things like that that you you know from from kind of our outside perspective you know looking at your work over the years and the, and the career that you've had you know it would be it'd be easy for you to go oh well you know I, I know what I'm doing you know I'm wrestling like you kind of rest back and just go well watch me you know but you're still you're, you're creating something and you're still learning from people that are that are on the way up as well you know how does that how does that feel for you to to kind of be you know, to still find that kind of creative energy in your in your work that you do. I think um, there are a number of different directions you can go in. I mean, I, I used to have a studio where I employed people um, years ago, and I so I could actually employ younger people, pay them a lot less than I earn, and um, make a fortune. <laughs> but I I like the creative aspect of it. I found like. If I wasn't doing the work and I didn't really enjoy being in comics per se, I enjoy the actual, the hand on defining the characters or telling the stories. Mm. Um, when you get young people who really do want to be employed, when you talk to the, the old hard bitten professionals, you all have a good moan about this particular company or that particular company. Mm. Because the, the weird thing is in this day and age, which seems ridiculous, that the cutting page rates. Mm. You know, the big companies, Marvel and DC, they're paying less now than they were 10, 20 years ago. Uh, you know, because digital and younger artists, and they, if they can churn out masses of like, uh, movie-related comics, then they will know they will sell 60,000 copies a month or whatever. Mm. Just And it doesn't really matter what's in it. So the pride, certainly at Vertigo, and at DC in particular, Marvel has always been a bit more business-like in a way. And it's slightly sad this like DC is starting to use their model, their business model in publishing, and obviously they failed completely when they're trying to translate their like, properties into movies compared to what Marvel are doing. They're a powerhouse creatively on the, the big screen. But their like, publishing model is, is um, not as healthy as it should be, I don't believe. And it's the situation where it's like they are paying people a page rate that's acting off the living wage, basically. And that's, that's, that's wrong. It's the sort of thing that Dave Gibbs, Alan Moore, and, you know, a lot of other artists in Frank Miller in the early days was like fighting against. You know, if you're paying a creator, a writer, or artist, colorist, then you really have to pay them something that's going to get the best out of them rather than like them trying to do something so fast. To earn a living, that it's not the best they can do. That's the biggest problem. I mean, and that's kind of there's nowhere that that's more acutely um, present than with Alan Moore and with Watchmen, because that is something that he's he's fought for years, hasn't he, against like the the kind of misappropriation of, of you know in, in what he sees as to be misappropriation of his work and things like that. I mean, how do you feel? You know, because I I mean I and I know Pete's going to agree with it. The colours in Watchmen are as iconic as anything else that's a part of it. And they're still they're still what's used. You know, you see those iconic colours in the movie, you'll be seeing them in the, the T V series, I'm sure, as well, that's coming up. 
But um, but how do you feel about that when you you know you see over the years you see like Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons you know speak out about that kind of about that kind of thing? I think it's really important. I mean, it's like I think um, not going to sort of compare different approaches, but Alan's approach and Dave's Gibbons' approach is completely different. Mm. And so like Dave did it within, and Alan tends to do it without the company, without outside the company. Um, I didn't really have a voice to express because I wasn't, um, I haven't shared in it the way they have because they're the two original creators. I was brought in as a paid uh, creator. Mm. Um, the fact that they have actually treated me very well because of Dave and Alan's support is, you know, I don't think I would have got that support from another team personally. Mm. I think I've been incredibly well treated by Dave and Alan because of their support and mm. because of what they end up getting out of DC. Mm. But I didn't really have a voice the way Alan in particular has or Dave has. But the great thing about Dave is the fact that he's worked within the company and so like told me the way he feels things should be developing than Alan's done it outside the company. Mm. And basically said it in black and white. Dave's been more diplomatic than Alan ever <laughs> has. Um, but I think it's incredibly important. And Frank Miller was doing something similar in the very, very early days. Um, he took the Hollywood dollar too, so to a certain extent he lost his, his voice of the people to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Whereas Alan never has. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm great admirer of his ability as a, almost a political commentator as much as a creative person. You know, he's, he's a singular, um, it's an overword used word, but he is a genius in, in creative aspects, mm. and his integrity is just you can't fault it. Just as a related subject, but unrelated at the same time, um, I haven't shown my kids the Watchmen film. I've allowed them to read the book, <laughs> but it led them down a scientific path that our thirteen-year-old now is obsessed that she's going to be an engineer. At uh, in some way, in terms of army and what have you, mm. because the the theory of Doctor Manhattan and the every uh, major city on Earth lost the same amount of people, subsequently saving mankind, etc., etc. That was Hugh the Third. He it was his multiverse um, scientific uh, theory, and uh, again a close link. His son was the singer of the Eagles. And it kind of it all met together that she was like, oh my god! So she's got these <laughs> she's got these astrophysics multiverse theory here at the third book that's double the thickness of the Watchmen one. By reading this comic, it gave her a scientific spark that she's like, that's amazing. <laughs> and now she and at this point she she wants to to be um, a mechanical engineer because of it, and then move on to physics, theoretical stuff, it gave her an inspiration that while she was like, eh, watch me. <laughs> this other direction that came out of it forced an inspiration. Brilliant. That's really good. You must be proud. Well, when she's done it, I'll be proud. Yeah. <laughs> at, the mo- at the moment, she's 13 and it's a bit of talk. Yeah. So when she's 23 and she's earning big money for being a, a theoretical physicist or something, like that, then, then we'll be proud of that part. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm conscious of time, but um, just before we go... Um, I want to know about you guys as comics fans, as well as um, you know, in the in the business that you are in as well. So, um, John, what kind of comics do you do you gravitate towards? Do you still are you reading comics at the moment, or? Yeah, most of them. I tend to be more visual, so I'll, I'll tend to go for something that um, appeals to me as an artist first and foremost. Mm. If the story's good, 
it's the perfect synthesis, which is what good comics should be. So I've been enjoying Monstrous, mm-hmm. which I don't, it's sort of like manga related, yeah. um, American style, brilliant artist. The detail is just mind blowing. I'm a huge fan of Batman still. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as long as the artist is sympathetic to the, the, the character, and sometimes they are, then I'll go for Batman every time, particularly the collective editions. Which yeah. Now they're writing this graphic novels, whereas I think to a certain extent Watchmen was the first one that was written in chapters per se, even though it came out monthly. So that fits together as a really tight graphic novel. A lot of collected editions are just uh, collected editions. Yeah. But now they are doing that slow like graphic novel format. So yeah, I'm a huge fan, but it tends to be the visuals. Um, the magic, I think, in Miller is doing, Mark Miller is doing with um, Kopia. Oh, yeah, Magic Order. Yeah, Magic yeah. Order. Yeah. I, I, I love what, I mean, Mark is such a phenomenal storyteller, and the artist is just uh, one of my favourite artists of all time. Mm, yeah. And he, he just seems to get better with doing less, which <laughs> I find mind blowingly frustrating. It's magic in itself. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, look for the artist and. It can be a new artist or an old artist, don't really mind as long as it sparks something in. How about you, Pete? I'm ever so slightly different, is that, and I think some of my answers would be kind of cliche if you say, could you list me all your favourite comics? I Obviously, I've banged on about, about the, the things like Watchmen, that, that as a kid I, I found these things, and they're legendary titles. Mm. And if you've never read a comic, you probably still don't know what The Killing Joke is. You probably still know what Watchmen is. You probably still know uh, Arkham Asylum and stuff like that. But there's other ones by the creators. That, and it's mainly Batman. I've always been a, a cape and tights guy. Uh, and that's both personal life as well as <laughs> within comics. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like the... Um, uh, things like Long Halloween. So Tim Sale's stuff. Again, someone will go, oh yeah, I know, I I know what that is and stuff like that. Just because it's popular doesn't always mean that it's, it's bad because it's popular. Yeah. Or because people know it doesn't mean that it's, oh, well, everyone likes that, so you've got to dismiss it. The reason everyone knows it is because it's really solid. Like, whether it be the artwork, the story, whether it be the characters that are involved, you don't sell that many copies at a throwaway, oh, it's popular. Like it, this, it's not like it's music, mm. where everything is essentially throwaway. These stories, for better or worse, will be reigned for much longer than probably I will. There will be still people long after I'm gone going, did you read The Killing Joke? Yeah, yeah, mm. I read it the other way. Because the quality of it stands up, mm. and the, the, the analogies to the really real world, to, to real life situations, to understanding what's happening here, there and everywhere, you'll find that path in it. And they're just such solid titles that I'll always go, oh yeah, uh, and, and Dark Victory again, uh, Joe Logan and Tim Sal. Mm. Like someone going, oh, that's an obvious choice. Yeah, but it's really, really good. <laughs> it is just really, really good. And surely if you're buying something, it's not just because, oh, well, I love this, so that means I have to buy this person's work. Mm. Just because Alan Moore wrote something and the popular opinion is that everything he writes is gold. 
that doesn't mean just because I like Watchmen and and uh, anything else he's kind of done, I'm going to automatically have to buy everything. You you, you, you test your water, you, you kind of see what you like, what you don't like, what appeals to me, what doesn't appeal to me. And I don't follow people in that sense. If there's a the combination of the artwork to the colours to the, the the writing and the commentary within it, that for me is, is everything. I've kind of touched away from comics more recently because as as John was lending to, I think DC's dropping very much into the into the Marvel way of doing comics where at any one point you've got thirty five different X Men comics out with every new artist and new writer going, all of them writing the same characters but in just different story rather than really getting a great colorist, a great writer, a great artist and making a great X-Men book, much the same with Batman and Harley, who were two of my big characters because I fell in love with Harley in the early 90s when she first appeared in Batman Adventures and then she was in the animated series. Just because those characters are popular doesn't mean you need to dismiss them, but at the same time, you can't just keep on churning Harley out for the sake of it, Batman for the sake of it, Batman and the Outsiders, Batman and Robin, Batman and Catwoman that they've just got married. Mm. Like, I, I'm sure there's there's some kid in 10 years' time, 20 years' time, who'll put his own comic convention and go, do you know when Batman and Catwoman got got married? Oh, it's inspiration, it's genius. The same way I've talked about some like Watchmen. Yeah. But for me, at that at this point, Again, like John said, some of it is, is Batman by numbers. It's how many new Batman titles can we get? How much money can we churn in from the marketing machine? First new Batman title in three weeks, yeah, yeah. rather than first. Like um, we had Jamie Delano here today, and he did um, Legends of the Dark Knight. That was the first bat. Those set of books was the first Batman books for like forty years. Yeah. Back then, it was you had to be top of your game to get given Batman. Or get given any of these stand uh, standout stellar gods of Olympus characters, and I'm, it's not that I'm disrespecting new artists in any way, shape, or form. Get every content you can get, every character they're throwing at you, you say yes to. Get your name out there, get yourself published, get yourself famous, get yourself writing your own stuff, creating your own new characters. But it's easy now to go. Well, we've got thirty new guys on. Let's do six different Batman books. Yeah, because the punters will just buy it. And that for me, that's not what comics is. That's that's what music is. That's what throwaway TV, like so um, things like Love Island. It's a throwaway. Again, I'm not slagging that individually, but it's those throwaway things that don't actually have any substance to them, because those kids are just given the the retainer money. They're desperate to break into Marvel and DC because that's where you make your money. That's where you make your millions. The dream tells you, and then. You get given Batman books and people get disillusioned and go, oh, well, there's six Batman comics out this week. I'm buying all six. Mm-hmm. And then those kids get dropped off that run. And then before they know it, they're, they're back to trying to do their own small pressing. And, and how does that build people? How does it push them forward? Uh, so I've, I've lost a, a little bit of love for the new comics model. However, any of the classics, any of the, the dark stories, any of the stuff that has the, 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 the grit and the, the go and the stuff that makes you want to sit there and tell everyone else in the room to shut up because you're reading. Mm. Just that stuff, that's eternally going to be, I'll always go to that. And and whoever writes the next one of that, I, I mean, I've just started going back through Preacher only because 
I knew the character, but I'd started watching the TV show, so I went back through Preacher, and I'm like, "What? Where? Where, where was I when this was <laughs> first out?" Yeah. But because I'm willing to go back to come forward, mm. and I'm not sure brand new audiences do that. I think they're just like, "What is the 16 different Harley Quinn variants out this way?" Because I'm going to buy all 16 of them, and that one's in black and white, and that one's in red pen, mm. and that one because San Diego said it was an exclusive. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. You can only flog a horse so many ways before you kind of killed it and devalued it. That's such a rant. That's a great, that was such a, a rant. Point to end on as well. Yeah, that's such a rant. <laughs> that's kind of not even the question you necessarily asked. So Batman, yeah, love Batman. There we go. <laughs> um, well, that's it. Thank you very much. Unless you guys have any questions or anything like that. No, well, thank you, uh, thank you, John. Thank, thank you, you. For, uh, cheers. For thank you very much. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. That's the issue. Is part of the Multiversity Comics Podcast Network. You can find this show and plenty more at multiversitycomics.com. You can subscribe to the show via Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please consider sharing this episode with a friend. The show is on Twitter, at That's The Issue, and I'm on there too, at Matt Loon. Finally, you can contact the show via email at that's the issue podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.